0: Hello, American Government and Civics. We are almost done with Unit 3, which was Political Participation and the Legislative Branch. Um, This will lead us into uh, our fall break. And on the other side of fall break, we will have a midterm. So just be aware and prepared and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, You can find the review on uh, our Google Classroom page. Um, So as you're looking at it, Uh, Please let me know if you have questions. Um, We'll go over this in class on Monday, and then we'll take the test on Tuesday the 4th. Remember, attendance is required for our tests. All right, let's get rolling with the review. So first up, you have the House and the Senate. And it says requirements, but just one of the key things for us is to know the differences between the House and the Senate just with with just all the things they can do. Because as similar as they are, where they're going to make laws... They're going to serve in committees, they're going to do oversight and things like that. Uh, there are some differences that you'll need to know as well. So just be aware uh, some of the questions are going to ask you to compare them um, like one question is a table and it has the House on one side, the Senate on the other and it's going to have, you know uh, a correct description of the House and a correct description of the Senate in one of the rows, and you gotta be able to pick that stuff out. So um, as you're preparing, just be aware, hey, I need to understand the differences. All right, so first off, the House and the Senate, the age requirement for the House, you gotta be 25, for the Senate, you gotta be 30. Okay, so pretty simple there. Uh, Residency, you have to be in the state that you're going to run in. So if you plan to run here in Georgia for either the House or the Senate, then you do have to have lived here for a year. You could not move to Florida, or Alabama, or California, or wherever, and then decide, hey, you know what, I'm gonna run for uh, the Senate in Georgia and start running from there. You have to establish uh, a year's worth of residency. Now, uh, for the Senate, it's anywhere in the state, Uh, and for the House, it's anywhere in the state. However, there is one little piece of the House that you you probably wanna understand. Uh, It doesn't affect your ability to run, but the House is broken into districts. For example, here in Georgia, we have 14 different districts if you're going to run for a house seat, you probably want to live in the district that you're going to run in. It's not a good idea to run uh, outside of district because it's something that your opponent is going to really kind of hammer you uh, on the campaign trail about the fact that, hey, this person doesn't even live in the district. So it's something that can affect you, but it's not a requirement. You do not have to live in the district. You can live anywhere uh, in the state. Uh, Citizenship, you do have to be a citizen. Uh, It can be A naturalized citizen, uh, for the house, it is seven years for the Senate. It is nine years. So you have to become a citizen, uh, at some point, uh, here in America and you will, uh, be eligible seven and nine years, uh, the term length, the house it's two years. Okay. So it's a quick turnaround for the house. Every two years you're running for reelection. So the people that, uh, were sworn in on January, something or other 2021, uh, they're running, here in 2022, you can go vote on them if you're 18, uh, in November for the house member. Okay. So we have a, a race here in Georgia in, a, in our district in Gwinnett, um, that's, you can go vote on, but they're running every two years. And the, and the Senate is every six years and a third of the Senate runs every two years. So not all 100 senators are running all 435 house members uh, are running every two years, but the Senate is different. And it's a third of the Senate every two years. Um, uh, and I'm going to just so you know uh because there's some confusion about the senate race here in georgia raphael warnock he ran in 2020. all right and so some people are confused because if it's a six-year term why is raphael warnock having to run again in 2022 and here is the deal real quick so our original senator was johnny isaacson okay uh, in this seat he had health problems health concerns. He decided to retire. When he did that, that allowed Governor Kemp to pick the new senator. He picked Kelly Loeffler. When that happens, when the the governor when there's an open seat and the governor picks the the replacement, that person has to run in the next election. So Kelly Loeffler had to run in 2020. All right, even though she got picked in 2019, I think it was. So she had to run in 2020. This is when Raphael Warnock ran against her. Alrighty, uh, and so Raphael Warnock won in 2020. However, that did not start his term at six years. He is just, he, he kind of won the seat, and the seat is up for re-election in 2022. Now, if he wins or Herschel Walker wins, they'll both have a full six-year term, okay? So just in case there's questions, in case you, you're talking to somebody and they they can't figure that out, now you know. Uh, the seat, so the House has 435 seats. The Senate has 100. How are the seats determined? Well, the House is by population, okay? Georgia has 14 Uh, House seats, Uh, California has 53, Texas has like 36 or so, I can't remember all the different numbers out there, but they vary because of the population size. Every state is guaranteed to have at least one, okay? So places like North Dakota, uh, Montana, Wyoming, Alaska, where, you know, there's not a huge population, they only have one House member. The goal is about to have one representative per somewhere between seven and 900,000 people. Okay, I'm not sure the exact number, uh, but and I know that's kind of a wide range there with 200,000, but somewhere between seven and nine uh, hundred thousand people represented by one person. Uh, and then the Senate is uh, there's a hundred of them, and there are two senators per state, and that will not change anytime soon. So there will always be just the two senators per state. Uh, and then the duties, okay, uh, both House and Senators have kind of similar things. They are going to obviously legislate, so one of their jobs is to create legislation that, you know, uh, affects us as their constituents. Um, they also serve on committees, which we'll talk about a little bit later down the, the road um, <coughs> on this review. And they um, also have oversight, which is part of their committee duties, but it's kind of a separate thing from legislating. So oversight is where, uh, you know, a bureaucratic agency, which we do in the next unit, uh, has some problems or some issues, they can be called in and questioned uh, by these committees. Uh, they can also call them private citizens. Uh, Facebook guy, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg was, uh, called in and, and he was, um, questioned about, uh, people that use Facebook's privacy, uh, and the data and things like that. So, uh, it's a part of their job. Okay. Now they also are going to kind of have some constituent duties where they're going to help us out. You know, uh, if you want to go to one of the, the military academies, you're going to have to get a, a letter of recommendation from, uh, I think our house member. Okay. Uh, and so doing things like that where they help us out as constituents is is part of their, their job as well. All right. Uh, the Senate filibusters. So the filibuster, first off, is a Senate only thing. Remember we said, you got to know the differences. So this is one of them. There's a couple of different differences, but this is one of them. And that's because the Senate has unlimited debate on the house side. Uh, you are really limited in the amount of debate because there's 435 of them and, There's just no way to let 435 people talk about an issue as much as they want to. They never get anything done, Alrighty. However, in the Senate, with only the 100, they can allow people to have some more time uh, to talk. And so they they don't have a rule about how long you can debate an issue. You can talk as much as you want to. So this is a tool of the minority party. The minority party in the Senate, in order to try and stop a bill from passing, will just get up there and they will use their time and they will not stop. Okay, so filibuster is just uh, you continuously debate, 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 uh, whatever the issue is. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, that's to kill a bill. And that's, I mean, I guess kind of the way it is. But just remember this. You, you're not going to kill a bill by filibustering. Yes, you might have some success and get the majority party to eventually say, okay, we'll stop. We give up. We, we, they'll cry uncle. <clears throat> really what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them to delay action okay uh, on everything else and kind of force their hand because you know we don't have just one bill three bills four bills in the Senate there's hundreds of bills they're having to have action on and you know, they only have a limited amount of time to get things done. And so if you're sitting there and you're talking and taking three, four, five, six, seven, however many days on one bill, you're backing up everything else. And some other stuff that the majority party wants to get done might get stopped. So the filibuster is a pretty powerful tool of the minority party. Okay. Now it can be ended, which is the next term there with a cloture vote, a cloture vote. All that is, is, Hey, let's stop debating. Let's end debate. And let's go ahead and vote on the issue. So if someone stands up and makes a cloture motion, that just means, hey, I'm tired of talking about this. Let's vote to end debate. And if it passes, then we go. We vote for the issue. We stop debate. However, if it fails, then the minority party can continue their filibuster. All right. You need 60, 60 0 for a cloture vote. Uh, so it's a big number and it doesn't always happen. All right. Next up here deals with, <clears throat> excuse me, um, excuse me. I got something going on my throat so i apologize anyways uh citizens united versus fec now this is a campaign finance thing so th- there is a mix of things in this unit where you had some some stuff about congress but you also had some political participation stuff the election campaign finance stuff is part of the participation <clears throat> so in this case citizens united back in 2006 7 somewhere in there they had made a movie about hillary clinton who was running uh in the democratic primaries against barack obama and john edwards from north carolina and so uh, the the citizens united group was against her and they made this movie now uh, uh if you want to i've never watched the full movie i've seen the trailer you can google uh, or youtube uh hillary the movie trailer and you can see it's a pretty it's, it's going to be an attack job basically on hillary clinton Okay, Now, eventually the FEC, which is the Federal Election Commission, says, Citizens United, you can't do this. Because of the way they were presenting it, and uh, it was a form of a political, it was an ad, basically, even though it was you know, disguised as a movie, <clears throat> they stopped them because of some of the sources from their donations. So, like businesses, corporations, and things like that had given them money, which was a violation of some of the uh, campaign finance laws that we have in place. McCain-Feingold. Uh, and so Citizens United is stopped from airing their movie. All So it's going to go to the courts. Citizens United is going to say, hey, yeah, we can run this. You know, we, the money, uh, where we get the money from is not important. And so it goes to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court is going to eventually decide five to four. So very close decision. They're going to decide that um, they basically businesses and corporations and groups like that can give money to whoever. And here's the key thing you need to remember about this. I know it's been a long build up to this, but this is the key part, that the money contributed is free speech, okay? And so you need to really remember that because it opens up a whole, whole bed of, a can of worms kind of, because it allows all these different groups and organizations to donate money to the, the groups that they want to. Uh, and it's, fr- I shouldn't say free and clear, you know, that's kind of a bad way to say it because there are some restrictions still. But they do have the right and they do have the ability to donate money as a form of free speech. And that's the main thing for Citizens United versus FEC. All right, lobbyists and their tools. So first off, lobbyists, what are they? Uh, these are people, uh, typically they're going to be former Congress people that are going to work for interest groups, uh, businesses, corporations. Okay, And I say they're going to be former Congress people a lot of times because of the connections they have with current congresspeople, okay? A lobbyist is going to go and they're going to try and convince congresspeople to do things that the interest groups, the businesses, corporations, and all those different things want them to do when it comes to bills and laws. Now, for example, let's say um, a gun control thing is out there. So there's a gun control bill uh, that's going before the House. The NRA National Rifle Association is going to have <clears throat> individuals that work for them as lobbyists that are going to go to the Congress people and just give the NRA's opinion, basically. Hey, we don't like this gun control bill. It's not something we want to see passed. You know, and it, the, the Congress people don't have to to do anything that the lobbyists say. But a lot of times these interest groups, these businesses will have donated lots of money. Uh, and, and here's the other thing. They don't donate money to the other side, okay? So they're are, they're donating money, and they're trying to to talk to Congress people that are already kind of on their side that favor the legislation. You know, the NRA is not given uh, a lot of money, and they're not going to go talk to to pro gun laws uh, Congress people if that makes sense to you. So their tools, uh, obviously, donations, uh, information is another thing that they have that they can give Congress people. <coughs> uh, they can you know get endorsements and things like that so there's a couple things that lobbyists can do all right congressional checks on the president first off is the veto override so we haven't got to the veto yet that's going to be in our next unit but the veto this is where uh, the president has said hey that bill's no good i'm going to kill it basically and so they refuse to sign it they veto it uh the congress does have the ability with a two-thirds vote of the full house and senate okay uh, of two-thirds to override that veto. So that's a check there. Uh, Congress is the only one that can declare war. Uh, if There's an old movie. Well, I say old. It's from the early 2000s, Pearl Harbor. And if you're familiar with Pearl Harbor from your U.S. history days, um, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, FDR called Congress together and said, hey, we gotta we got to declare war on Japan because the president doesn't have that ability. That is something that only the president, I mean, only Congress can do. Now, they can the president can obviously make a suggestion, but Congress has to at the end of the day do that. Impeachment, uh, please, if you take nothing else from this podcast, please, 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 please know that impeachment is not kicking the president out. Impeachment is just where the president has been accused of something, okay? But it is a full Congress thing. So the House will draw up the articles of impeachment when the president has done something wrong. The three things are um, Uh, treason, bribery, and then high crimes and misdemeanors, which is a a very broad topic, okay? And we're not going to get into all the things that can can be um, high crimes and misdemeanors. But anyways, the House will draw up those articles and vote, and a a simple majority gets it passed, okay? At that point, the President has been officially accused of wrongdoing. It then goes to the Senate uh, for a, a trial, and so the Senate will have a a normal, I shouldn't say normal, but like a regular trial, like you would see on TV, uh, with a courtroom, you know, not in a courtroom, but uh, with a judge and all that kind of stuff, and lawyers and witnesses and evidence and whatnot, and then they vote. A two-thirds vote kicks the president out. We've never had a president kicked out, although we've had several impeached. Uh, funds the Congress it has to vote on the the budget. They had the final say-so there. And then consent and advice. This is mainly a Senate thing, so a key thing there. The Senate does this. The Senate uh, gets to basically approve a lot of the things the president does. So the president wants to um, appoint this person as a a judge. They're going to have to go through the Senate to get approved. The president wants to appoint this person uh, for uh, a uh, cabinet position. They're going to have to go through the Senate okay, to get approved. So consent and advice is just the Senate's power and the Senate only their power to um, say yes or no to a a presidential nomination. All right, how a bill becomes a law. Hopefully you're very familiar with this because you had an assignment to do with it. You had to create an infographic where you had the steps and then you put them them into kind of a a presentation type format. So hopefully it's something that you're okay with. But uh, a bill is introduced. And, and here's one of the big things you got to know. Uh, a bill can be introduced on the House or the Senate side. Okay. It works its way through the House. Once the House votes on it and approves it, it then goes to the Senate and it does the same thing. They have to pass the same exact bill. All right. So hopefully, you know, you're not confused by that. But the House will pass it. The Senate will pass it. Doesn't or Excuse me, will introduce it. It doesn't matter which side it starts on, except for revenue bills. They have to start on the House side. Anyways, they'll do their work. So the House, let's say, introduces uh, it, then gets announced, and then gets sent to a committee. Now, side note, committee is where most bills die. Okay. They go there and they just sit or they get you know, denied basically. Um, so that does happen, but the committees will do a lot of work there. They will uh, work on them. They will mark them up. They will make changes. They will have hearings on them that are public. They will call in Uh, experts to come and talk to them about the the topics of the bills and all that kind of stuff in the committee. That's really where the work of Congress takes place, is in these committee hearings. They will eventually vote on it. If they vote favorably, it'll go to the full House for a vote. Okay, they'll debate on it and all that kind of good stuff, then they'll vote on it. If they pass it in the House, it then goes to the Senate. Same thing happens. The Senate gets it, it goes to their committees, and they will um, eventually vote on it if they pass the same version then it goes to the 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 president for a signature however if it gets denied in the senate or if it uh, let me take a step back if it is a little bit different then the house and the senate will come together in a conference committee and they'll try and sort out the differences and fix it before they send it on to the president the senate can deny it so the senate can kill a bill that the house has passed that can happen as well all right So that is the brief version of how a bill becomes a law. Once again, hopefully you're familiar with those things because you did have an assignment on it. All right, the committees, you've got four, standing, joint, select, and conference. The standing committee, these are the permanent committees of Congress. Both the House and the Senate have them, so the House has their standing committees, the Senate has theirs. They are there, and they will be there, um, you know, for for the foreseeable future. Um, They are, you know, they they have broad topics, so... Veterans Affairs, uh, education, so on and so forth. So they are very broad, and this is where bills will go. They will then break into subcommittees. So all the standing committees have some um, some subcommittees where they, you know, it's just too broad. And so, okay, let's have smaller committees uh, that'll look at these more specific things. Uh, a joint and a select committee are kind of somewhat similar, so don't get them confused. Uh, a joint committee is where the House and the Senate come together. All right, so this is one of the few times they'll they'll meet together. Uh, the standing committees typically stay separate from the House and the Senate. So the joint committees will come together. Uh, or A committee will be made up of both House and Senators, and it's typically to report some kind of information. So they've done an investigation, and they report it to the American people. A select committee is an investigative, and this is House only or Senate only, and these are temporary, okay? They will not last, but they will come together to do some kind of investigation. If you've been paying attention to the January 6th, uh, Investigation in, in the House, that's a select committee. Once they're done with their investigation, they will disband. And then a the conference committee, we already talked about, that is when a bill passes the House one version and the Senate passes a different version. So let's say it's a spending bill and the House passes uh, a bill that says we're going to spend $50 million, and the Senate says we're going to spend $100 million. So they would come together to try and sort that out. All right, political action committees. So political action committees, those are bills that... Um, Obviously, excuse me, I got my Congress stuff going on. Political action committees are basically fundraising for interest groups, businesses. Almost anybody can start a political action committee. But they will uh, raise money, and then they spend it on the candidates of their choice. They are limited to how much they can donate directly to the the candidate. So a lot of their stuff will be running commercials and ads and things like that. All right, leadership. Uh, The House and the Senate, excuse me, the House first. Uh, they have the most important position in all of Congress. They have the Speaker of the House. Now, please remember, there is no Speaker of the Senate. There's only a Speaker of the House. Okay, uh, right now it's Nancy Pelosi, and she basically runs the House of Representatives. So, a lot of things go through her office. Uh, she is going to to be very hands on with the committees. You know who's going to be on the committees and. Uh, you know what bills are going to be looked at, what bills are going to be voted on, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, she gets to make a lot of decisions about uh, what goes on in the House. Okay. Uh, then you got the Majority Leader, who is from the Democratic Party right now, whichever party is in charge right now. It's the and the and the Speaker is also always from the Majority Party, but the Majority Leader works with the Speaker of the House. Then you got the Minority Leader, uh, who is going to be for the Republicans right now, uh, and they don't have much power. The House Minority doesn't have much power and much ability because they are limited with debate the and they are limited to what they can do. Alrighty. Um, and then you get down into the whips, the whips, are uh, these are the assist, I, I don't want to say assistance cause they're, they're, they're much more than assistance, but they're going to work with the, the party leaders, the majority minority leader, the speaker, and they're going to, to you know, basically be kind of the go-between between the leadership and the rank-and-file people. So if I, if I have a problem, I'll go talk to the whip. The whip is also going to try and find out how I'm going to vote on certain issues and try and keep me in line and vote the way I'm supposed to, all right? On the Senate side, they have majority-minority leader, all righty. They have the whips just like everybody else. They do have uh, the president of the Senate is the VP, the vice president, but they are never there. So uh, they have the president pro tempore, but it's really not a powerful position the 17th Amendment. This is going to change the way we elect our senators. Prior to the 17th Amendment, the state legislatures would pick the senators for us, okay? Now with the 17th Amendment, we get to pick our own senators. So and it, the 17th Amendment has been around for a while now, uh, but that's that. Necessary and proper clause. So the necessary and proper clause is a part of the Constitution that allows Congress to stretch their powers. Basically, the founding fathers realized that, hey, we can't Have every situation covered in here. So as long as Congress is acting within their express duties, so the things they can do, uh, then they are allowed to stretch their power. So my favorite example is from U.S. history, it's the Bank of the United States. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that Congress can create a Bank of the United States. However, it does say that Congress will control commerce. And commerce is associated with a bank. And so therefore, the necessary and proper clause, they combined them and they created a bank in the United States back in the day. All right, election cycles. So remember, uh, congressional election cycles happen every two years. So the House is running every two years. And then you have a third of the Senate running every two years. Alrighty, righty. Uh, we'll get into the presidential cycles later on, but they're every four years. All right, the last couple things here, reapportionment, redistricting, and gerrymandering. So reapportionment, this happens, (coughs) excuse me, every 10 years when we have a census. So we just took a census in 2020. So the numbers changed for the house. So basically what reapportionment is, is when they take the census and they see, okay, this state had a population that decreased by 2 million. This state had a population increase of 2 million. So when that happens, they're going to change the 435 seats in the house around. So uh, I really thought Georgia was going to gain some seats, but we didn't gain enough people. And some other states uh, actually gained more people. Like uh, Texas, I think, gained a seat. Uh, and I think Florida gained a seat as well because they gained so many people. So they got a new representative. So they basically increased their power in, in the House. Right? This is not Senate. The Senate stays at two all the time, so they will never reapportion. Um, so when that happens, they those states have to redistrict. Okay, so it's something that they can't get around. They can't say, well, you know what? We'll just, we'll stick with the the districts we have. Well, no, you just added a person. You have to create a new district. So if Georgia, you know, with our 14 districts had gotten a new person, a new district, we couldn't have 15 districts with 14 people. You know, we'd have to to redistrict and draw uh, up some new lines. Now, the state legislatures do that, okay? It is not a federal thing. Uh, It is the state legislatures that draw up those lines. Uh, It can lead to gerrymandering. That is where you, um, and I say you, where the state legislatures draw the lines kind of to their advantage, okay? Uh, And it's something that both sides can do and will do sometimes where they will draw the lines. Sometimes they're unfair. Other times they're fair. But they draw them with an advantage leaning towards their party, okay? Uh, Once again, it is something that's legal, okay? You can't say, oh, that's, that's illegal. You can't do it. Uh, but the courts can make changes. So the courts can look at the lines and say, hey, you know what, That's, that line's not fair. That's drawn along racial lines. That's drawn, um, you know, disproportionate to the, the citizenship and whatever. You know, there's, there's things that can be done uh, if there is some lines that are gerrymandered. I think Georgia's lines were challenged, but I'm not sure whatever happened with, the, with that uh, suit. So uh, anyways, so there's that. Finally, the Pledge of Allegiance and the participation in the political process so, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, you know, it was something that you do every morning. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it has evolved over the years. Uh, it used to not have the under God portion. It, that was created in the 50s uh, because of the Cold War, and it wanted to, to be a distinction between um, the U.S. and the, the Soviet Union. So that was added. Uh, Then I think that's the last change, though. So it's been kind of the same way uh, for the past several years, or the past 60, 70 years. Uh, Yeah, the 50s would be 70. Sorry, math is not my thing. Uh, And then finally, the participation in the political process. It's just all the different ways you can potentially participate. The main way that you'll ever participate, that any of us will ever participate, is by voting. And I encourage you uh, to go vote. It is something that's super easy. And it allows you to voice your opinion uh, and and let the, the politicians know, hey, this is what I feel, this is what I think. Okay, uh, but you might also have to serve on a jury. You might, uh, maybe you put up a sign for a, a politician in your in your front yard. Maybe you donate money to a politician. Okay, uh, there are many ways that you can participate in the political process. But your, you know, kind of your civic duty uh, as a citizen, and the main one is to vote. Alrighty. And then all the other stuff is just kind of added bonuses. All right, guys, that is the, um, the, what you call it, the podcast and the review for this stuff. If you have questions, you can always, 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 always text me on talking points. You can email me, uh, all those email addresses go right to my phone. So I get it pretty much right away. Uh, you can hit me up on social media, Instagram, C H H S underscore, or uh, C H H S gov underscore civics. Same thing for Twitter, C-H-H-S-G-O-V underscore civics. I'll be happy to connect with you there. Uh, Or a weird thing is you can just talk to me in class. I'm available every day, second period. All right? I know that would be the weirdest way to do it, but uh, I'm happy to talk to you about any of these topics. All right, guys. Best of luck on your test. I hope you have a great three-day week and an enjoyable fall break if I don't see you before that. And I'll see you on the other side when we're getting ready for our midterm. All right, guys. Take care and bye-bye.